Welcome to the Horse.com's Ask the Vet Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of the Horse.com. Tonight's Ask Vet Live is titled Spring Vaccines and Wellness Exams, and it is brought to you by Beringer Ingelheim Vet Medica. We're joined by two experts tonight. We have Dr. Dale Brown of Root and Riddle Equine Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky, and Dr. Rob King, who is an equine technical manager with Beringer. Welcome, doctors. Good evening. Thanks for having us. Let's start with you, Dr. Brown. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your experience in doing these spring wellness exams and helping your clients uh, plan out their vaccinations for the year? Yeah, sure. So, um, important to do an annual wellness exam just from the standpoint of most most cases in horses, disease, and other other things can be headed off if you catch them early. So if you're coming out, have a good relationship with your local veterinarian and he's doing an annual exam, you're oftentimes might catch disease early in the state and uh, uh, treat it hopefully quicker and easier. Some common things that they'll do when they come out for their annual wellness exam, first and foremost is they'll, they'll do a phys- uh, routine physical exam, check the eyes for any changes in the cornea, check their teeth for any sharp points, do an oral exam most likely, see if they need routine dental care performed, and then listen to their heart, check for any arrhythmias or murmurs that might have come on. Also pretty common is to give them a body condition score on a scale of 0 to 9, with 4 to 5 range being in the ideal range, 1 being on the tooth inside, and 9 being the obese side. Oftentimes they'll Check the feet if and see if they need routine farrier work done, and oftentimes walk, jog, look for lameness, um, run their hands up and down the joints and the tendons, look for any effusion in the joints or uh, swellings, thicken, thickenings in the tendons. And you with Root and Riddle, you're part of the ambulatory practice, so you're doing this quite a bit going out to the farms. Um, but you also have some experience putting together the vaccination plan for Rune Riddle, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, I'm in charge here at Rune Riddle of putting our protocol together for annual vaccinations and deworming protocols. And we basically um, follow the AEP website, the American Association of Equine Practitioners org is a good resource for horse owners to go to. And we, we pretty much follow their guidelines and then tailored a little bit for our region here in central Kentucky with the things that we have going here. But um, there, you know, there's core vaccines that are required that are recommended in, uh, for every horse. And then there's other non-core or called risk-based vaccines that um, are more specific based on the discipline of the horse, region of the country, and other uh, variables that play into that. But I develop ours, and, and it pretty much stays mostly the same every once in a while. Uh, a drug company will either come out with a new product or there'll be some new research in a certain area where we tweak our, our protocols a little bit. But for the most part, we follow the AEP guidelines for that. And Dr. Keene, you're one of those people who are are looking at that research on the industry side of vaccination. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do with your company and um, and your experience with that research? Yeah, certainly. We have... Um, you know, the, we, we only have a few. There's so many different diseases, infectious diseases that horses get, and unfortunately we only have really a small number of vaccines for, for just the most common uh, diseases out there. And so our company kind of looks at some of these areas where there aren't vaccine strategies for preventing diseases 
And that's pretty much what we try to do with looking at things like equine rhinitis virus, which is uh, worldwide, uh, not something we're uh, very familiar with here in the U.S., uh, but we have a, a vaccine, conditionally licensed vaccine for that. It's not uh, rhinoneumonitis, but it's another one of these respiratory diseases. So my job is to try to get these vaccines in the hands of veterinarians uh, in the U.S. so that they can use them and, and help uh, with a lot of these situations where we have horses that they're well vaccinated and they still get sick. And there's so many things we don't vaccinate for. So that's what my focus is. Okay. Well, we're going to be talking about these spring wellness exams and vaccination schedules over the next hour. Uh, this event uh, is based on questions that everyone sent in while they were registering. But if you're listening live, you are welcome to send in questions via your console uh, that you're looking at in your web browser. Send in your question. Our news editor, Erica Larson, is getting those and reading those and sending them on to me. Um, so feel free to ask some follow-up questions as we go along during the next hour. We also have something that we put together special. We did this last month for you guys uh, when we were talking about PPID, and we've done it again. We've created our top 10 resources on thehorse.com for this topic. So before you go to the web address that I'm going to give you guys in just a moment. Make sure that you don't enter it into the, the window that you have open currently. You want to open another window in your browser and type in this U URL. Otherwise, you'll shut down your live stream of this event and then you'll have to um, get back on that. Um, so you can go to thehorse.com slash equine vaccines and you can find our top 10 resources on getting your horses vaccinated. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into the rest of the questions that we have. Um, I'm going to start with asking both uh, Dr. Brown and Dr. Keen to jump in on this. Uh, Dr. Brown first. If you happen to have, if a horse owner happens to have a horse that gets a little nervous or anxious when the vet comes uh, once or twice a year, what kind of recommendations do you have for handling that horse and helping the experience be safe and productive for everyone involved? Dr. Brown? Yep, that's a, that's a great question because it is um, a little troublesome as a veterinarian when you get to the farm and then the horse is so fractious you actually can't even lay your hands on the horse or listen to the horse or do any of that stuff. So it's a, um, a very difficult situation. And most of the clients that I deal with that I do the annual wellness exams on know their horses very well inside and out, and I've seen them enough to know which ones are going to need attention like that. And routinely, I, I honestly leave um, some sort of sedation tranquilizer in their hands if they're comfortable with that and uh, administer that usually orally and occasionally if the owner's um, very experienced and comfortable with giving uh, intramuscular shots, I'll allow that as well and leave them some sedation ahead of time. And I give them a 15-minute heads up, and they usually give them some sedation so it's setting in. And uh, if they relax when I get there, everything goes much smoother that way. So okay. most of the time I just use sedation. Okay. And Dr. Keene? Yeah, there's some other things, certainly. Um, unfortunately, um, if you only call your veterinarian out when there's a wreck and we end up you know, having to um, either sew the horse up or quote-unquote hurt the horse, um, trying to help the horse, uh, that can be tough because every time we drive in the driveway, that they, uh, then the 
you know, the antsiness starts. So I guess the big thing a lot of owners can do is, you know, be sure that, you know, you pinch the horse's skin on the neck and, you know, some of those things that we're going to do, take the horse's temperature, you know, those are things you can work on when we're not there. Um, Everybody ought to be able to uh, be able to get a temperature on your horse because it helps us when, uh, you know, you you call us when there's an issue. So those are a few things I think you could do uh, before we come. Yeah, I know I have one of my three horses definitely knows my vet's rig and is at the other side of his paddock um, by the time the engine's turned off. So um, thank you for those those tips. We have a question for Dr. Brown. It came in from Jean in Colorado, or I'm sorry, Jane in Colorado. And Jane says she has a 23-year-old quarter horse that has a stage four heart murmur. Uh, should he be sedated for routine dental floats? Uh, he is quitting but has no other signs of distress. What kind of sedation would be preferred? And should a head halter be mandatory for respiration? Do you have any thoughts on that, Dr. Brown? It's a little difficult to answer from the standpoint of never seeing the horse and knowing exactly what type of murmur it is, um, knowing that it's a four out of six, so it's significant murmur. It would still be best to your local veterinarian that normally does your horse uh, looks at your horse and if he does the teeth or if it's um, a late dentist does the teeth as far as sedation goes it's that should really be left up to the local veterinarian's hands um, it, it's a good question unfortunately it's hard for me to answer that just um, not knowing the horse but my some questions I would ask if she had just asked me this in person if I'd just been the new vet on the farm is is the murmur long-standing? If so, was he sedated the last time he had his teeth floated and without any problems, or has he always been done without sedation would be where I would start. Um, if he's never required sedation, by all means, I would not sedate him if it didn't have to. Um, other things are, if it's a murmur that's been long-standing, he's had sedation in the past, the likelihood that he's going to have issues now is probably not great, but um, it, it's a special case that probably is not easily answered without being the actually attending veterinarian on that case. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Um, Dr. Keene, this annual exam is sometimes the only time, knock on wood, maybe the only time we see our vet during the year. And I know a lot of horse owners have a lot of information that we're learning all year long, and this is a chance to ask our vets about anything new and exciting. Um, and A lot of that may have to do with supplements and nutrition for our horses. And we have a question from Mary Beth in Mississippi, and she wants to know if supplements are necessary for all horses. If a horse does not have access to grazing, what is the best way to supplement that horse and and to make a nutrition plan for, for the upcoming year? Yeah, that's a toughie. Um, I'm I'm from Montana, and we grow beautiful alfalfa and grass hay. And honestly, if depending on the quality of the of the roughage the horse is getting, and and if the horse doesn't have any other health problems, feet problems, uh, GI problems, you know they can do just fine on very good quality hay. And so that's where it's a little hard. Um, you know, sort of a misconception. Um, that you've got to dump all the 90 different supplements into a horse to uh, to, to make it uh, make it healthy, and it really starts with what's the basic roughage that horse is feeding, is being fed. Um, you know, is it good quality hay? Has it been rained on? Um, a lot of people, um, if you've got a good hay source, 
it can make sense to uh, to test the hay. Some some reputable hay brokers actually offer that as a possibility for folks. So you know exactly what you're feeding. You know if you just are able to buy a couple bales of hay and you get different hay you're feeding your horse, it's a little hard to tell what's what's uh, what they're eating. And so uh, the short answer is. Uh, supplements aren't necessary for all horses, but as horses develop uh, particular health problems, there's things that can be very beneficial, whether it's GI, uh, skin problems, those type of things. So, sorry for the the no answer on the on the on the on the simple question, but your best bet you have county agents in, in all over the United States that many of them are experts on nutrition and they can give you a specific answer for your particular area, and I'd suggest uh, using that resource. And so nutrition can vary by region, but it can also vary by age of horse. And Dr. Brown, we have a question from Jerry in Wisconsin, and Jerry has a yearling and wants to know what's the best nutrition advice you can give, uh, give her for taking a young horse into the spring and summer and she also wants to know about vaccinating this young horse. Do you have any recommendations for youngsters? Yep, that's similar to um, the last question as far as the nutrition goes. It's it's a little tough to make just a recommendation for yearlings in general because it is so uh, dependent on different regions of the country and their and their forages and their grasses on the nutrient levels they particularly have. So um, uh, some horses can do great just uh, in spring, summer, and fall out on on good grass with uh, with hay supplemented, and some do require extra grain. But the, where I'd start is just the annual wellness exam. The guy has his local vet come out and gets a body condition score, um, and then they can, that's a starting point. Um, if it's right in right in the middle where it should be, then probably whatever he's already doing is satisfactory. If he's on one side or the other of that four to five range, then that's something that can be addressed. Um, and if the veterinarian's not comfortable making nutrition uh, recommendations, just like Dr. Keene said, there's there's county extension agents. There's um, sometimes even, especially here in central Kentucky where I'm located, a lot of the feed suppliers to these major ho- big, big horse farms here have uh, nutritionists on staff that'll come out to the farm and, and set up a a nutrition program strictly for your your farm your situation so that's where I'd start as far as the nutri- nutrition goes and then the vaccine part we'll probably get into more as the night goes on but I, I would start back with the core vaccines and I guess this is where we could mention what they are like I said if you go to the AEP website they'll be listed under the vaccine guidelines area on the web page but there's there's five core vaccines um, listed for the, by the AEP which includes your tetanus, your eastern and western equine encephalomyelitis, your and then your your West Nile and rabies. So those are the five that the AEP and veterinarians recommend every horse, regardless of age, be uh, be vaccinated against. Um, they, those are the diseases that have been clearly demonstrated to have the highest eff- efficacy and safety standards and versus the low level of risk of, of giving the vaccines. So that's where I'd start with the core vaccines, and I'm sure we'll get into more detailed uh, explanations on certain vaccines uh, okay. as the night goes on. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Our next question is for Dr. Keene, and it came in from Marjorie in Tucson, Arizona. And Marjorie says, with spring in, uh, in the air and warm weather and shedding uh, winter coats, uh, 
do you have any ideas for helping dry, flaky skin? Now, I would I have to say that Tucson is not a typical spring for the rest of the country, a little bit drier there than other places. Uh, but Dr. Keene, do you have any recommendations for helping the horses through the transition in, their, in the season and getting a nice uh, hair coat on them? Yeah, certainly there are a lot of um, supplement-type products that are high in oil. Um, you can use a, a rice bran product that will put a nice bloom on them and help with the, uh, you know, the quality of the skin. Uh, 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 beet pulp, uh, sugar beet pulp, is also uh, gets used um, this time of year a lot of times uh, to improve the uh, flaky skin situation. Uh, there's also uh, a very inexpensive way you can do that, and you don't want to over go overboard on this because you can end up with some diarrhea and some GI problems. But just uh, starting out, you know, with a, a like a quarter of a cup of either corn oil or canola oil, just get the big jug at Sam's Club or Costco and uh, start a horse out with a little bit, like a quarter cup, and you can increase it to uh, to a half a cup and kind of see how the horse does and just add it to uh, whatever supplement or grain that this horse is getting. But there's some tricks um, to uh, to help with a flaky skin and doing a good job with grooming, uh, getting the hay, you know, the, the shedding uh, situation, um, and then a, a bath will help there too. Our next question is for Dr. Brown, and it came in from Lois in Virginia. And Lois wants to know, at what age should your horse start getting a blood profile done during their wellness exam? Is that something you do on a routine basis? It's kind of a case-by-case basis, actually, for me, and I'll just speak completely. I don't think there is necessarily a right answer to the question, but I'll just speak from from what I do on my case-by-case basis type thing is, you know, once I get into the older horses being 15 years, teenage years and up, um, I do routinely on my annual exams pull a a CBC, a complete blood um, count and a chemistry panel and just looking for following the white white blood cell count along and then also looking at your liver liver enzymes and your kidney values and also your glucose and insulin levels um, as that older group gets a little more into that range that deal with like Cushingoid type problems and stuff like that. Now obviously at a younger age, if, if at the annual exam, if there's any issues that have come up that the owner communicates to me, um, have a case of laminitis in the last year, um, seems to be carrying abnormal fat uh, distribution over its body, things like that that makes me want to check either insulin glucose levels if I'm worried about um, some insulin resistance or a thyroid level if I think we get some sort of a higher uh, thyroid problem I'll obviously pull it earlier but for me when I get into a routine stage is when they get into that upper teenage year 15 and up I get one every every year at the annual exam just so we can follow along and head off any problems uh, should they arise. Okay. And I have another question for you, Dr. Brown, and this came in from Renee via email. And she wants to know, during a horse's spring wellness exam, what are some of the signs that her vet might look for to indicate that its joints and body are starting to have wear and tear and that they may need some extra therapy such as joint injections to help them keep keep in work and compete comfortably? What do you do for, for that part of the exam? Yeah, that's part of my routine exam is just walking the horse and then usually jogging them up and down a little ways, just looking for any signs of lameness, um, be it very subtle or obvious, and then go from there. And then I routinely run my 
hands up and down all four limbs starting from high and going down and palpate each joint on the way down make sure they're not carrying any um, joint effusion or excess fluid in those joints and then run my hands down the back of the legs feeling the the tendons and the suspensory and checking for any swellings or thickenings there that might might tip me off to uh, something brewing as far as that goes so just just general quick uh, walk and jog of the horse looking for any lameness and then palpating the joints looking for swellings that's where I'd start and we have a question that's come in from our live audience, and I'm going to send this over to Dr. Keene. This is from uh, Sadie in Kentucky, and Sadie wants to know, uh, or Sadie has a friend who says that her horses get two wellness exams every year, not just one in spring, but one in the spring and the fall. Is this overkill, or is it beneficial for horses to have more than one exam per year? Yeah, I, I would uh, answer that question with a question. Uh, how old are the horses? Because to uh, Dr. Brown's point, you know, as horses get older, uh, they have, just like with people, uh, they have a lot more issues that a twice-a-year wellness exam may be, uh, may be indicated. Um, and it also kind of depends what you're doing. If you're trying to compete at a very high level and you expect a lot out of your horse, it probably makes sense, especially in the lameness area, to just kind of keep, keep track of... Uh, those joints and limbs and tendons and that type of thing. So that's that's how I'd answer that. Okay. Um, our next question is for Dr. Brown. We're going to get into some more of the vaccination-related questions now. Um, this question is from Warren in Montana, and Warren says, my vet uh, comes in the middle of April to give my horses their shots, which is a five-in-one plus a West Nile vaccine. Is there anything else that would be beneficial that's not being included? Yep. So that he's right on the money with the five plus one, and I am assuming, because some people um, call them different things, but I'm guessing the five plus one he's talking about would have the, one would have the flu and rhino and the eastern western and cephalomyelitis and the tetanus in it plus the West Nile. So you get your five, um, you actually get four out of your your five core vaccines covered there plus the risk-based flu and the rhinopneumonitis. The one he's missing uh, out of that group that is a core vaccine I would recommend would be the, would be the rabies. Um, that was added to the core vaccines a few years back. Um, and just from the standpoint, it's, a, it's one of those vaccines that's highly efficacious, um, very safe, um, and, and low risk to the horse to give it, and has been shown to be very, very protective against rabies, which is obviously a, um, a fatal disease if the horse does contract rabies. And, uh, and also the, just the concern for the owner being uh, potentially exposed to a horse with rabies, those zoonotic concerns of passing it uh, potentially to the human. So rabies would definitely be one to add into that group. And then depending on that area of Montana, those are things you need to take into consideration, which should be done with your local veterinarian who would know the disease prevalence in that area. But things to consider be botulism, the Botox um, vaccine, Potomac horse fever, if that is in that area, and then plus or minus, depending on what he uses his horses for, and sometimes boarding stables kind of direct you whether you have to give it or not, is the Strangles vaccine. So those are some others that may or may not need, but rabies is for sure one that I'd add into his group there. Okay. Uh, Dr. Keene, our next question is for you, and it's from Steph in Iowa. And Steph wants to know if newer, if, if the newer combination vaccines are okay to use on younger horses, or is it better just to use them on older horses? Are there 
any issues with with combination vaccines? Uh, great question, and and there really aren't. I mean, we. Uh, when we uh, get new vaccines approved, and we have a big combination vaccine that uh, came out uh, a few years ago, uh, these are normally given to young horses, um, and they get two doses. Um, uh, usually, at, 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 and every company has a different age um, on their label. You know, we used four months old, four month old uh, 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 horses to uh, to test the vaccine. We give two doses. And then, as the, when the vaccine is tested, these horses are challenged um, with uh, with various uh, they're challenged with West Nile at over a year of age. Um, so, and we know um, these big combinations um, don't. There is no va- uh, interference between all those various things that are in these big combinations. Um, the only time to think about splitting vaccines up or is, uh, and we'll get into this, I think, later, is if, if a horse has got some other health problems, let's say he's, uh, he's uh, has, has issues with laminitis, um, any sort of stress, um, uh, vaccine is, is, is potentially a stress in some individuals. You're giving them, you're, you're requiring the immune system to respond to the various things that are in there. And one thing to keep in mind, if uh, giving one dose rather than three doses of vaccine at the same time, um, if you give a large combination, you're only giving them so much, um, so many preservatives and the adjuvant. All vaccines have what's called an adjuvant in them, and that adjuvant is required to help the immune system recognize the various uh, agents that are in there. So uh, I would have no issues with uh, giving uh, big combination vaccines to younger horses. Our next question came in from our live audience, and I'm going to give this one to you, Dr. Brown. It's from Julie in Wisconsin, and Julie wants to know if it's necessary to vaccinate pregnant mares for rhino if they have never been, if they are never exposed to other horses. What are your thoughts on that? Well, that's a that's a good question. My concern is is um, I guess if, I don't know if she's breeding by ship semen or if the horse ever leaves the farm to go to a breeding shed not knowing what breed of horse it is but if pregnant horses i mean the rhino vaccine that protects against so the ehv1 is primarily the strain of the herpes virus that causes the abortion in in horses and her likelihood to get exposed to that if she's absolutely not around any other horses not even um boarded with any other horses on the farm even if they're she doesn't come into the barn if there is any other horses on the farm i would recommend still giving it but quite honestly if if she actually does not have any other um access to being exposed from other horses the likelihood is that she probably does not need that need that uh, vaccine as it's not a core vaccine it is a risk-based vaccine but um so i guess that's it's a little odd um because I, I guess I have never actually been approached with a question like that with just a single horse that's not exposed to any other horses. But if there is any uh, any other horses, whether breeding or not breeding, that it could possibly come in uh, contact with, I definitely would vaccinate um, to prevent abortion, hopefully. And Dr. Brown, you know, one horse alone on a property, um, not having contact with other horses, is there a distance that they would need to be from a neighboring farm or horses 
um, at your neighbor's property. I know for me, I live on small acreage. We have uh, two and a quarter acres and I have horses behind me and horses to the side of me. And my one neighbor, I don't know the history of vaccination or, or the horse's histories at all. Um, is it concerning when you have horses that you don't have under your own management uh, that can possibly come in contact or maybe um, either flies or mosquitoes could be over there and then coming over on your property? Are there concerns? Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a good point um, to bring up is, is if she is neighboring to any farms or is there any uh, potentially any fence to, fence to fence contact so if her horse can reach over to the neighbor's fence if those horses can um have contact with each other or even just be separated by a, a few feet, a fence of a few feet, not actually get nose to nose. But obviously the virus, the herpes virus is often shed in nasal secretions, which once they get aerosolized can travel um, quite a distance. And so if there are surrounding farms close by, um, especially um, within uh, a few feet or yards um, of fence line area that could be exposed, that is a definite risk. And if sh I would recommend using the herpes vaccine. Okay. And since we've, we're talking about herpes, um, Dr. Keene, you, herpes virus has been in the news quite a bit. We're seeing neurologic cases. Is there any way to vaccinate and protect our horses from the neurologic form of of uh, equine herpes virus? Yeah, the, that's a great question. Uh, there are no vaccines that we have that are labeled for prevention of neurologic herpes. Um, and, you know, then it, 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 it's very confusing for owners because it's like, well, why are we, why are we doing this? And, and basically you've got, you know, these herpes, uh, equine herpes virus 1 and equine herpes virus 4 can cause basically three different conditions. Uh, certainly the, you have the neurologic that uh, everybody worries about and is, is scared about. But along with that, you can get uh, respiratory, upper respiratory uh, disease and also the abortion that Dr. Brown talked about. And, and, and uh, the, the frustrating thing about all the herpes vaccines is we don't have long-lasting immunity from them. Um, and this is where people, when we get into vaccine frequencies and those type of things, it is very um, uh, it is very difficult to have a much more than 60 days of uh, great protection against a herpes virus vaccine. You know, looking at titers and studying horses uh, post vaccination. You know, that's what we know, and that's why it's recommended in certain situations. Is why we vaccinate mares. You know, three, five, or five, uh, five, seven, and ninth month of gestation because. Uh, we don't have uh, much more than a couple months of, of protection against these. All horses potentially have the virus, and the virus goes latent, just like uh, the cold sore virus does. You know, once you get it, we think that young horses are exposed early in life, and this uh, virus uh, undergoes what's called latency, where it sort of hides in the in the body until some sort of stress. Uh, comes on and uh, whether it's pregnancy, whether it's being shipped. And so a lot of these things that you see as far as outbreaks of neurologic disease can, are usually around horses that are being campaigned or hauled or in large, uh, in large uh, breeding farms. So why we vaccinate is just to keep as much of the viral shedding down uh, so that we get less transmission. And so that's, um, that's the reason to vaccinate against herpes viruses. Okay. Our next question is uh, from a live audience member, um, 
and Dr. Brown, I'm going to give this one to you. This is from Liz in Illinois. And Liz just rescued a seven-year-old quarter horse mare. She said that she came with no paper or veterinary history. She wants to know if she should assume that the horse has not had any vaccines and start fresh with her spring shots. What are your thoughts when we don't know the history on a horse? Yep, that's it. That's uh that would be correct um, for her to assume that I would start from scratch and just assume um, that she, she has not been vaccinated. Likely she probably has at some point had some vaccines, but there's there's no evidence saying it's harmful to um, give the series of vaccines that they need. Most horses, like as far as foals go, often require a, a three-dose series of the core vaccines, except for rabies, which is uh, only only labeled to give as a two-dose series, but most most everything gets an initial series of, of three, and then after that, as long as you keep up on the vaccines annually, most of them are only required once a year. Um, occasionally, depending on uh, area of the country you live in, some some people booster the, the eastern, western encephalomyelitis and West Nile again in the fall time during the peak of um, uh, mosquito season because those are the vectors that spread those diseases. So some people do booster them to keep their ambi levels at a very high level during those um, key times of the year. But yes, I would treat as an unvaccinated horse and um, give them a, a series of, of the core vaccines initially. And then after this year, she can go to just doing the annual annual vaccines. We have a question for you, Dr. Brown, that's from uh, Deborah in Michigan. And Deborah says that many owners in small barns um, do not vaccinate or a, a, in a private situation. Is it really necessary uh, to vaccinate horses that are not competing and not going to trail rides and not moving around? Um, or can you skip it? Okay, that's a, that's a good question. And I think several people have that concern that their horses don't actually travel and aren't getting exposed to other horses. But things to remember are, especially with the five core vaccines, um, especially the the vector-borne diseases, the eastern, western encephalomyelitis, and the West Nile. Those aren't those are carried by mosquitoes, and so um, they don't necessarily have to go to a horse show to get to pick up, be exposed to those diseases. So I do still recommend, no matter how small the barn or how few borders there are there, um, the five, the at the bare minimum, the five core vaccines, um, just kind of repeating myself, but tetanus, eastern and western equine encephalomyelitis, West Nile, and rabies. Those are all been shown to have very high efficacy levels, low risk to the horse, and are very effective vaccines at, at preventing disease. And unfortunately, with all of these core vaccines, if the horse is, uh, does acquire these diseases, they oftentimes can be very serious and, and quite, quite honestly, most of them are fatal. Now, the things that she can take into consideration would be the frequency of the risk-based vaccines. If they're not competing, not going to horse shows, and not exposed to a lot of outside horses, um, some of the vaccines such as influenza and the rhinopneumonitis and uh, things like that could be if I would if even if a small barn if there's borders oftentimes there's a horse new horse going to come in or out throughout the year I still would at least do um, once a year on the flu and probably two to three times on the on the rhinopneumonitis just like Dr. Keen said um, unfortunately on the herpes vaccine those 
those don't last much longer than 60 days, the antibody protection, protective levels. So um, I, I would still recommend the flu and rhino. And then depending, uh, she's in Michigan, um, if her, her veterinarian, if botulism is a problem up there, I'd definitely vaccinate against botulism as that's an effective vaccine for to prevent botulism, but um, not every region of the country has has issues with that disease. In the same way with Potomac horse fever and some of those other non uh, just risk-based vaccines. Um, Dr. Keene, you, both you and Dr. Brown have mentioned that for rhino, that those are maybe only protecting our horses for 60 days after vaccination. Do you recommend that horses that are traveling a lot and competing get frequent rhino boosters throughout the year? Yeah, we, we see uh, veterinarians recommending in a, in a kind of a nightmare situation. You know, remember, um, you know, it's, uh, it's the first uh, week of school syndrome when everybody gets sick at home with all the, you know, the, the respiratory um, diseases that occur in, in humans. Um, you know, if you're, and it's based on what you plan to do with your horse, if you're campaigning pretty hot and heavy and, they're, and your horse is being exposed and it's being stressed, stress is not great for the immune system and uh just you know doing a lot of hauling um uh weather uh extremes can can stress and and affect the horse's immune system and an ability to fight infection and so in those situations if you had a a horse that's being um raced around the country for instance you know you're going to want to uh think about a more aggressive vaccination program. If you've got a situation where you have horses coming and going and there's not a whole lot of uh, ability to quarantine, um, most uh, a lot of the boarding facilities don't have the luxury of having extra stalls where they can quarantine a horse for 10 to 14 days, a new arrival. And so in that situation, the only thing you really have uh, left is to aggressively vaccinate uh, more frequently than the once or twice a year. We have a question that's come in from our live audience. Um, Dr. Brown Lynn in New Mexico wants to know if a horse has had a vaccination reaction in the past, should he get banamine or another anti-inflammatory either with or before his shots? What are your recommendations for those horses that, that react to vaccines? Well, uh, like Dr. Keen recommended earlier, I'd probably answer this with a question of my own, is what vaccine did it have a reaction to and what, what kind of reaction was it? Uh, I mean, adverse vaccine reactions have a wide array that can be as simple as a small swelling on the neck where it was injected to an anaphylactic reaction. Um, so I, I'd begin on asking what kind of reaction and, and to which vaccine. If it isn't a core vaccine that it doesn't have to have, um, it may be something I don't feel like uh, he's at extreme risk of uh, coming in contact with other horses or uh, or uh, as far as I carry that disease or something like that. I may cut that vaccine completely out of my, my uh, protocol. But if it's one of the cores or it's something that definitely have to have in that region, then I, I, the, I, you can give banamine, you can give uh, non-steroidals prior to um, occasionally in severe cases, I, I have given um, steroids to horses I know that react. However, the, the problem with that is is you you dampening the immune system and, and we're needing the immune system to be uh, at its best to re- react to the adjuvants and to the, to the vaccine so that they build antibodies to it. So when you're dampening that immune system, um, 
you're, you're kind of taking away a little bit of the purpose of the vaccine. So, but I, I honestly uh, like Dr. Keene's um, advice on that too, because he does, I'm sure he hears being the company hears about the adverse reactions and what, what he communicates to his uh, people when they call in with adverse reactions. Yeah, no, you, you answered that exactly how I would have answered the question. You know, there's things as far as the site, I'm a big fan of, you know, if you've got a horse like that, you know, is the vaccine given in the neck or in the in the rear end? I, I love to use the muscles of propulsion in the back, uh, the semimembranosus tendinosus, because you can exercise that horse and, uh, and it doesn't affect their eating and drinking if you have an issue. So exercise, certainly using anti-inflammatories, you're going to affect the immune response. Um, and, um, the, and that's, that's, you, you, you did a great job answering that question. Now I have an experience with a horse that uh, had boarded at, at my place and I wanted her to have vaccines because she was at my place and around my horses, she belonged to a friend of mine. Um, and she, every year her reactions were getting worse and worse, um, to the point where she couldn't put her head down to eat. We tried, um, doing them uh, in her hindquarters and she couldn't walk. Is there a point where we just don't vaccinate these horses because of the reactions or there's a possibility of a, a severe reaction? You've got some intranasal products, which is a way around that. I mean, we don't have any of the core, uh, there's, there's not a, a core vaccine that has an intranasal, intranasal administration uh, route that I'm available, that I'm aware of, but we do have a uh, influenza and uh and strangles and rhinopneumonitis and so a horse like that i would maybe cut back um give the the ones you couldn't give up the nose uh, intermuscularly and that might be a strategy okay our next question is for dr brown and it's from andrea in michigan and andrea has two horses that have not had any vaccinations in several years because her vet moved um, to a different state. The horses are pasture pets, um, but she has always kept up on their health needs until her vet moved. She says that her choice at this point appears to be administer the shots herself, but she's not really comfortable with that. Um, and she doesn't know which um, vaccines are necessary or what schedule to give them on. What suggestions do you have for Andrea on proceeding on getting her horses back on a vaccination schedule? Yeah, so it sounds like she just has a, a comfort issue of vaccinating her own horses. Um, first, I, I would start and see if um, she can form a new relationship with a, with a new veterinarian that's uh, close by. Just from a standpoint of not only an annual wellness exam, getting the vaccines done on her horses, but... So it's not necessarily a new face in a crisis situation if she has an emergency with her horse, whether it be colic, laceration, or anything of that nature. Um, it's always a stressful way to meet a new veterinarian is under a, a crisis situation. So first, I'd, I'd just recommend that she try try a new new veterinarian, try having a, another person come out, try to build a relationship with them that you trust, and then and then that makes the vaccine part easy because he can him or her could uh, administer the shots from there. Other things that she could do is um, uh, if she, I'm sure being a horse person has several friends that have horses and, and most people over time kind of get a, get a comfort level for giving intramuscular vaccines, the proper area and everything. So she could always have somebody with other horse experience to help her with administration of the shots. But I do feel it it would be important to get the shots back up to date because she's leaving her horse at, at risk for some fatal diseases. 
Our next question is for Dr. Keene, and it's from Ellen Catherine in New Jersey. And she said that she has a 23-year-old horse, quarter horse, and she's worried about giving him or having him get his rabies vaccine. She said that she has read that giving older animals this vaccine can kill the animal. Should she be concerned about having the rabies vaccine? Well, uh, that, that, is a, that is a great question, but in New Jersey, I would be more worried about rabies killing my horse than I would about the rabies vaccine. Um, certainly, you know, it's a core vaccine. Uh, we've had some areas of the country where we've had really bad situations with rabies. Uh, it's very difficult to stay away from it. Uh, it can be spread by bats, foxes, any of the canids out there. Um, and it is, um, there is no treatment. Um, and it's it's impossible to diagnose in a horse that may have it without uh, their uh, their head. So uh, uh, you look at the brain, and, and that's the only way to make the diagnosis. So anytime you have a disease that's that's fatal and is hard to diagnose, that's a good one to think about vaccinating against. And that's uh, that's what I would why I would do. I wouldn't be concerned. Yeah, and I just would add that is. Um, an editor with the horse. I see a lot of stuff. I get a lot of exposure and I was sent a video of a horse with rabies and um, it was terrifying. One of the, <laughs> the worst things I've seen um, a horse go through. So um, I have either one of you had a, a rabies experience with a horse? I had one many moons ago. Yeah. Yeah, that, that video was enough to convince me to add that to my annual um, vaccines with, with my vet. Um, our next question is for Dr. Brown, and it's from Deb, Debbie in New Jersey. We have another New Jersey question. And Debbie says that she has a 20-year-old Oldenburg mare that has Cushing's. She's had a group of show horses has moved into the barn, and she's concerned uh, that she get the proper immuni immunizations for her horse. Um, she's said that um, generally, she's heard that generally we over vaccinate our horses. Um, what are the concerns with with a Cushingnoid horse um, and exposure to disease and vaccination, Dr. Brown? Yeah, so she has a Cushingnoid horse, um, and he's he's up in that um, the what I classify as the getting into the geriatric age of the horse. Um, and so Cushing's does have some effect on their immune system. They're a little more, they're immunosuppressed, but there's decent amount of data and studies been done by the pharmaceutical companies that produce these vaccines that, that these horses still do mount an appropriate immune response and it doesn't generally affect their antibody response to the vaccine. So they are protected when you do vaccinate them. So, um, I agree that she should have some concern as her um, exposure of her horse is to different diseases is skyrocketed with uh, show horses that uh, move around the country and around the state and region uh, bringing stuff into the barn. So she, I would agree she needs to get her, get her horse immunized. And uh, as we've repeated multiple times tonight, I obviously would start with your core vaccines. And obviously in that situation, it sounds like a, um, Influenza and rhinopneumonitis would definitely both be vaccines that should be administered. Um, the flu, I generally um, give the flu every 90 to 120 days in that situation, and uh, and I recommend giving the 
the rhino vaccine every 60 to 90 days when you have a group of show horses in your barn the your, your risk is much higher on those horses okay our next question is for Dr. Keene, and it's from uh, Stacia in Florida. And she said that she sometimes thinks she's over-vaccinating her horses, or her horse, that he moves back and forth from Pennsylvania to Florida uh, every May and November, and she gets him vaccinated before each trip. Um, in addition to his core vaccines, he's getting strangles and botulism when he gets back to Pennsylvania. What regimen would you recommend for a horse that's moving around a lot like that? Well, it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like she's doing everything just perfectly as I would. You know, the one thing to keep in mind when you got horses that are traveling, we've, we've talked about this a bunch tonight that, you know, that's a stressor on them, a uh, different feed, uh, uh, different environment, different weather. The one thing about Florida, most, uh, most veterinarians recommend a minimum of twice a year vaccinations with the Eastern, Western and West Nile, just because they don't ever get a uh, a slow mosquito season uh, in Florida. And so uh, it doesn't sound unreasonable to me that about, uh, and that's smart, that before each trip, hopefully uh, at least three weeks, because uh, about 30 days after vaccination, that's when the peak immunity is. Uh, and as that horse is headed south, you know, you want to be sure, since uh, the horse may not have mosquitoes in December in, in, uh, in, uh, up, in, uh, up in the northeast, um, that, uh, you know, he's got uh, great protection when he gets down there. And I'm assuming um, that she um, isn't totally isolated when she gets to Florida, and that uh, we've talked about that a lot, you know, and it's very simple to, you know, you're, you're, if you're, even if you're trail riding, you're going to get exposed to, uh, to other horses, and uh, that's where your risk of, uh, of, the, uh, of, of respiratory disease is. We have a follow-up question from Lynn in our live audience, and um, this is following the Cushing's question. She wants to know if either of you have any special recommendations for protocols for vaccinating horses with insulin resistance. Um, do either one of you want to jump in on that question? Uh, I don't think. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah I was, was going to say I don't. Uh, I honestly don't have any different recommendations that I do for. Cushing's horses or any of those uh, other horses that seem to have some immune uh, system problems as well. I agree. Okay. Um, our next question is for Dr. Brown, and it's from Darlene in Pennsylvania. And she says that in Pennsylvania, they currently vaccinate for West Nile flu, rhino tetanus, um, encephalomyelitis, uh, botvex, and Potomac vax. Does this cover everything, or is any of it overkill? Uh, sounds like Darlene's got it right in order. Uh, she's got her five core vaccines that it needs. Uh, she's got flu and rhino on board for uh, if it travels and exposed to other horses and the botulism of Potomac horse fever, which apparently they uh, probably deal with in Pennsylvania. So I think she's set. Okay. Our next question is for Dr. Keene, and it's from Karen in Indiana. And Karen wants to know why we continue to vaccinate horses annually for the same diseases when human vaccines such as tetanus or MMR, et cetera, are more long-term or long-acting. Why, why do we need to vaccinate horses annually for some of these diseases? Well, um, I guess the short answer, especially on the tetanus thing, is um, you know, look at the exposure uh, possibilities. Most of us don't live in a barn in barbed wire 
where we could get uh, puncture wounds and that type of thing. And so if you look at um, how we house our horses, um, you know, that is, that's something to, uh, to keep in mind on tetanus. That's a very common question. Why do we give it annually? Tetanus is a bad deal. I saw a handful of cases uh, when I was in practice, and you don't want to have a horse that has tetanus. It's just it's such cheap insurance to vaccinate a horse. Um, the vaccine is, a, is very efficacious, and if you've seen a horse like tetanus and you've paid a vet bill with a horse that's been treated with tetanus, you would never stop vaccinating horses on an annual basis. So that's a great question. You know, the, the other thing to keep in mind um, and, and I'm going to deviate a little bit, uh, influenza. You know, we, we get a new flu vaccine every year, and uh, this is, uh, uh, we'll answer the senior horse part of this question. And in humans, if you think about how many humans, uh, the, the flu virus is an expert at changing its outer surface uh, to try to evade the immune system. And what happens in humans, since we're exposed to so many human beings, whether in an airplane or in a bus going to school, um, that the more pressure, immune pressure, uh, on that inf- on those influenza viruses, the faster they mutate. And so that's why in people we get a new flu vaccine every year. In horses, uh, we don't uh, have that uh, pressure on these horses in, in most situations, but we need to be doing a better job of, of updating influenza strains. And uh, the current recommendations, there's a group called the OIE that uh, surveys the influenza um, uh, virus vaccines and, and virus outbreaks that are out there, and it's important that we update. Uh, and I only mention this because um, there's a, a difference in the vaccines out there with updated uh, influenza strains, and it's important that we keep up with that. The reason for that and the other reason for uh, 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 senior horses is as horses get older and as people get older, we start vaccinating them more often, if you think about that, as people age, as human age. And I think we have some evidence. Um, we know that as horses get older, we're able to do a better job of creating diseases when we challenge them. And so um, I think uh, as the data comes in, we're going to probably change our outlook on uh, these senior horses needing to be just as appropriately vaccinated as younger horses do. We have a question for Dr. Brown that's come in from our live audience. Alice in Virginia would like to know, if your horse has a reaction to a specific vaccine, could you try a different brand or product to avoid the reaction in the future? You know, that's, a, that's a very good question, and, and, and I agree, because there are different companies use different adjuvants um, and different vectors in their, in their vaccines. So you, you definitely could try that on Fortunately, you're not going to know without trying that if they're going to have a reaction again. So, not saying that's necessarily going to alleviate it, but that is um, that is definitely a possibility. And like Dr. Keene said earlier, depending on which vaccine it is, there are some intranasal routes um, that we could go to instead of the injectable, um, if that's if it happens to be one of those. But that that's a good point, and it's a potential that they're just reacting to the adjuvant in the in the vaccine. Um, Another thing that I've seen in practice before, and it seems to always happen to the most expensive uh, show horse, is, is actually the, having a reaction to the actual needle. Some horses have allergies to the, the hypodermic needles, and you have to get one that's uh, get special needles um, for some horses. So that's another thing to keep in back of your mind, too. 
We have another question from Alex or from Alice in Virginia. And Dr. Keene, I'm going to give this one to you. She wants to know how common are anaphylactic reactions to vaccines? Oh, um, the, 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 they're very uncommon. Um, knock on wood, I, I was in practice uh, 10 years and I never saw one, but I always had epinephrine with me. Um, they're very uncommon. Um, it's, uh, it's a little bit, um, but they're, and that's a reason we we're going to, we talked a little bit about people giving their own vaccine. So I wouldn't feel very comfortable, um, administering any vaccine to a horse unless I had access to epinephrine, but, uh, maybe Dr. Brown wants to comment on that. Yeah, I, I agree with you that it's, it's, they're very rare. It's, I have knock on wood, um, in the eight years I've been here at Rudin Riddle, have not had a anaphylactic reaction. I've, I've seen several of the, the localized reactions, muscle soreness and some swellings and stuff like that. But um, I, I kind of agree. I mean, owners do have access to giving their own vaccines, and it, it's as long as they're um, willing to accept that risk that there is the potential for an anaphylactic reaction and not having any way to address it, um, then that's, that's fine. But I think that's where... Um, veterinarians play a key role and it goes back to having your annual wellness exam you've got the veterinarian there it's a perfect time to do all that together and it's just it's it's the safest uh way i believe because you you can deal with any adverse reaction hopefully when they're they're on the ground they're with you so our next question is for dr keen and it came in from uh, america and texas and she has two questions and it's actually it's the nice segue from talking about uh, vaccinating your horses yourself. She wants to know what is the smallest gauge needle that can safely be used for self-administering vaccines to horses. And she also wants to know if there are any notable differences between commercially sold vaccines, maybe at your feed store or through a catalog and those purchased directly from your veterinarian. Um, So let's start with the first part of that question then move into the second. yeah, the one thing, in a, and obviously we we uh, we want to use the smallest needle because uh, we hate it when the big old uh, needles come out and and we get stuck with stuff. You know, the one thing to keep in mind, and and you know, I most horses can do a good job tolerating uh, a 20 gauge, inch and a half needle. We want to be sure it's not the it's as important to have uh, the vaccination be given deep in the muscle. You know, we don't give things to horses subcutaneously, and you can see a horrendous uh, reaction if you get the vaccine uh, under the skin. Um, the the smallest gauge, I, I use mostly uh, a 20 gauge, inch and a half. If you've got a horse that's a little needle shy, you can go down to the 22 and 23, but they're very small needles. My concern would be if the horse jumps, you could easily break these smaller gauge needles off, and then you've got a mess on your hands with a broken needle in the horse's muscle. Um, as far as the differences in commercially sold vaccines versus those you uh, purchase from your veterinarian, there's some of the vaccines that are very available uh, at the feed stores. And, and what concerns me is how are those uh, vaccines handled? Um, the one thing we, uh, we really worry about is horses that get too hot or, or, or horses, vaccines that get hot or vaccines that get cold and, and frozen in particular. 
Um, one thing, uh, and I, I would get uh, doses of vaccine delivered me in the wintertime in Montana, and if they showed up and there was a problem with them, I sent them back because I wasn't going to give those to any animals. And that's the um, using a veterinarian, you know uh, the quality of what you're uh, going to be giving because the veterinarian has done their uh, due diligence as far as figuring out, you know, which vaccines ought to be administered. Um, when you, they get things get out into, I've seen pallets of vaccines left on loading docks in California at, uh, at over-the-counter type uh, establishments. I've seen it with my own eyes, and so we, we worry that, um, uh, you know, that the vaccines are not handled through the uh, supply chain as they should be. So that, and you're also paying for uh, the fact the veterinarian is going to stand behind the vaccine that you get from them. So that's what you have to weigh. So you might be saving money up front, but long term, it may end up costing you much more. Exactly. Exactly. Um, well, we are just about out of time. I'm going to do one more question before we close. Um, Dr. Brown, this is from Alice in Hood River, Oregon, not too far uh, north from where I'm at. And she said that she's moving to Texas this spring and wants to vaccinate for West Nile virus, but she's heard that it's not safe for pregnant mares or breeding stallions. What do you recommend in this situation? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, as in not just West Nile, but uh, most vaccines and dewormers for that matter don't have a label for pregnant mares. Um, and that does not necessarily mean it's not safe to give to pregnant mares. It means these companies, um, it, it costs a substantial amount of money, as Dr. Keen to, can attest to, to, to manufacture these vaccines. And every time you need to get something else on the label, it costs more money to go through tests and um, safety standards and all that. And so it, there comes a line where um, we can't, you, it's the cost benefit ratio is not there. And so most of these don't go all the way through to testing on pregnant mares, but they are, I mean, I, I've administered thousands of doses here in central Kentucky of West Nile. Every pregnant mare we have gets boosted with West Nile. Um, a month before they fold, uh, they produce uh, colostral antibodies to be passed to the full, um, and just no no issues with that. So, and obviously, Dr. Keene, if you have anything to add on to that, but yeah, no, I I agree that um, it's it is very expensive to do that. We we do it. Um, you know, we haven't had any uh, safety issues uh, with pregnant mares. I know there was early on in 2002, there was a lot of Internet chatter on, you know, abortions and this and that when the West Nile vaccine came out. But And that's where may, maybe the question came from. But uh, that just really hasn't held true. So uh, with that, we've come to the end of our hour-long program. Before we close, I want to ask each of you, and we'll start with Dr. Keene, what is the one most important takeaway that you would like our audience to have from tonight's discussion? Well, I guess the, the most important is uh, include your, um, I mean, everybody, it's, it's expensive to keep horses. Everybody's trying to save money, but there is a huge value in having um, uh, having a relationship with your local veterinarian as things come up. Uh, the annual wellness exam is, is incredibly important. It's much more expensive to uh, prevent diseases or try to uh, ward off some things that may be going on with your horses than it is to try to treat them after the fact. Okay. And Dr. Brown? I kind of just echoing Dr. Keene's thoughts there. Um, 
just consulting, having good communication with your local veterinarian, and and to realize that everybody has a different situation, every horse owner. And so there is no one set of guidelines that can just be followed for every horse owner. It's really got to be tailored between you and your veterinarian and the region of the country you're in and the discipline your horse is in and that kind of thing. So it's, just remember that there's there's no one specific protocol that's perfect for every horse, and it just needs to be tailored to best fit your scenario. And then I think it's just important to reiterate that the AEP.org website has a wealth of information on it, not only for vaccinations but other other items of interest as well. And so it's a good website for horse owners to always go to to get um, vet, veterinary-backed uh, uh, regulations, guidelines, and recommendations. And as a horse owner, I have to say that it's sure nice to have that developed relationship on that 10 o'clock in the evening, winter night, when your horse decides to colic and you need to call your vet. So um, I want to thank everyone for listening live tonight and for sending in great questions both before the event and during the live event. I want to thank our sponsor, uh, Behringer, for uh, bringing this to everyone free tonight. And thank you, Dr. Brown and Dr. Keene, for joining us. Um, Remember, we have that special article that we put together with our 10 top resources on vaccinations, and that's at thehorse.com slash equine vaccines. And I hope everyone joins us next month for our next Ask the Vet Live.